Today, I'm talking about God's plan for creation and why should I care? God's plan for creation and why should I care? Um, One of the early false teachings of the early church was something called Gnosticism. You don't need to know what that is, but it was basically about the separation of that which was spiritual from that which was physical. And Gnostics would teach that, you know, it's all about the spirituality. It's all about the ultimate existence is a spiritual existence, not a physical one. So they would degrade and and not really talk about the physical world. And, of course, the easy answer to that for Christians as they began to teach accurately was this. They said, well, God became a human being with a body. And God walked the face of this earth. He actually came from heaven to earth And the miracles he did, that Jesus did, were physical miracles. He calmed the storm. He fed hungry people with real bread. He he healed physical, broken bodies. We have a tendency, like Gnostics did, to separate things. Not just Christians, but all of us. We separate things into the important and the unimportant. If you've gone through a Scottish education system, it's highly likely that God and religion are unimportant. Whereas things like human rights and environmental concern, very important. Now, as Christians, we see those things as very important, but the thing we see in the midst of that is that to understand God's place And our place in the midst of those highly important issues of our day is absolutely vital. So as we've talked about the better story again and again, we're trying to link in what God says and what God means in the very normality of the pressures and the everyday lives that we live. Here's a big takeaway from this series. Don't think of Christianity as part of your life. Don't think of it as your Sunday thing, but... Hey, Monday morning comes, different world, isn't it? Got our jobs to do. No, it's all one and the same thing. To live for God wherever you are. He wants all of you. He wants to write his story in all of your life. And it's a good story. William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, which we know all over the world now is remarkable in terms of this charity that cares for millions of people who were marginalized and in poverty. They started as a vibrant church planting movement back in the 1800s. And somebody asked William Booth and said, how did, how did this thing happen? Because it just went global in a generation. And uh, he said, well, he said, I remember when I was 15. He said, I said to God, Lord, you will have all there is of William Booth." I wonder if you've offered all of yourself to God today. So today we're talking about God's plan for creation. We're talking about the environment. We're talking about his care of creation and our response. We live on an amazing, amazing planet. Uh, Luke drew our attention to that last week. Luke's a very good photographer, isn't he? Anybody, Anybody notice that? Just love seeing Luke's photos. I find when I take photos, they... I mean, I, I, they're, they're always blurred. And they're always my kids. And they're always pulling faces. And so I take 10 of them because they're always blurred, and all 10 of them are blurred. But Luke's are just beautiful. 
And he just drew our attention to the magnificence of creation and the beauty and God's speaking to us through creation. Today I'm going to talk about God's purpose in creation and our response and our responsibility. So here's the question. Why did God create planet Earth? Simple answer is found in Revelation 4. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Why did God make the earth? Because he wanted to. (laughs) He planned to. If you read an older version of that, that verse, it says, for his pleasure. It's almost like a royal edict, a royal command. If, if royalty was to write to you and say, to request the pleasure of your company, you'd say, wow, it, it, it's, it's the king of kings and the lord of lords doing something wonderful because he wants to do it. The earth happened deliberately. The Bible teaches it clearly. You may have many opinions about how God created the world, whether it follows exactly the exact ordering of Genesis 1 or whether that's more literal or figurative. All of those things are good questions, but for one thing, all Christians will agree. He made the world, and he did it because he wanted to. Now, let's see just how involved he is, because, again, down the ages, sometimes Christians have gone down this route of, of kind of dualism. where they say, well, yeah, God made the world. He, he kind of wound it up and he said, there you go. He put, law, he put laws in place. He put science in place. So that you know, it's just kind of somehow he's here and we're here. But let's just see how Jesus fits into this created world that we enjoy and experience. Hebrews 1, some of those brilliant verses in the New Testament. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In the past, God spoke through the prophets, but he says, in these last days, God has spoken by his son, and he tells us a bit about the son. He says, oh, something you might not know about the son is that he made everything. (laughs) You might not have picked that up in Genesis, because we read about the spirit of God hovering over the waters, and we read about God, the Father, speaking into creation, and we think, I wonder what Jesus was doing. Was he having a day off? Was he having an early Sabbath? No, no, the Bible says, he, he says, Jesus was there. He was involved in creation. He was creating the world. He's the creator. But also, he says, he's the sustainer of all things. So he made all things, and he sustains all things. We may worry about the state of our planet, but do you know, if Jesus stopped speaking at this moment, everything would finish. (laughs) See, he's sustaining. He's actively involved. When you buy a new product, a dishwasher or a washing machine or something, you often buy, the, you pay the, a little bit of extra money for a care plan. Anybody done that? Yeah, just so that if it goes wrong, somebody's going to sort it out. Well, here's the care plan, part of the care plan that God put in place for his planet. He says, Jesus the Son is going to keep speaking over all of creation. 
And here's the third thing. It says the son will inherit all things. He creates all things. He sustains all things. One day, all of it will be given to Jesus as his inheritance. It's all about Jesus. Now, Psalm 145 tells us of God's compassionate ways when it comes to dealing with his creation. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. He's compassionate. And do you know he's compassionate with you today? Sometimes, if you don't know God very well, you think he's just annoyed at you, or that you're not, he wants you to just pull your socks up and do a bit better. But do you know, in just the same way, he's tender with creation. He speaks tenderly to you, and he's so compassionate. Even when you get it wrong, he loves you. And he loves all of his creation. See how tenderly Jesus speaks of nature when he's teaching his disciples to not be anxious. The main point is don't be anxious because Jesus cares. But listen to what he says about nature in Matthew 6. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Isn't that wonderful? He says, you know what I like doing? Feeding the birds, the God of the universe. And then he starts talking about the flowers. And he says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field. He says, Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of the flowers of the field. You know, some of us, if we're going out for a big night out or something, we might spend hours in front of the mirror getting ready to making ourselves look good. You know, God just routinely does that for all of creation. He dresses the flowers of the field to make them beautiful. So God has purpose in creation. It's for him, and he made it so he could care for it. But also, he made it to be a dwelling for his people. He made the world to be populated. Isaiah 45 says this, This is what the Lord says, who created the heavens. He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Isn't it interesting? Everything we know about space, all the planets of our solar system, all planets beyond as far as we can tell, as much as we've been able to explore, it's all empty. Everything's empty, empty, empty. And you think... Why? I don't know why, other than this verse tells us that God deemed that planet Earth should be a habitation for people. And so he made it a place where life could flourish and grow. What a wonderful gift that God made a home. God loves people so much that he made a home for them, where they could flourish and grow. He said to the first man and woman, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. When the New Testament authors speak of the world, oftentimes they're not just speaking about the physical world, but they're talking about the peoples of the world. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's plan for the world intrinsically involves the people of the world. God's plan for the earth is to be a home for his created family. 
That's important when we look at the future of this great planet. That's a wonderful kindness from God to provide a planet for people to live on that will meet their needs. In exchange, part two of the care plan that God gives is he says, I want you to steward the earth well. Jesus will keep speaking to the earth, but human beings are to care for the earth and to steward wisely and to make sure that they keep it in good condition. But do you know God's kindness goes one step further than simply giving us a nice place to live? He offers his people the chance of ownership. Matthew chapter 5 Jesus is encouraging his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. He spoke this word. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. These verses end with Jesus. He's encouraging them because if you're a follower of Jesus, at some point in your life, you'll probably face difficulty. You'll face challenge. There'll be countries of the world where you'll have property taken away from you, where you won't be able to aspire to certain jobs. That's already true in many countries of the world. But if you're a Christian, no, you can't do that position. Jesus encourages his disciples, and he says, you know, he says, even if you don't get to own property in this life, there's a planet with your name on it. There's a creation. You will inherit the earth Jesus inherits the earth, and he's going to give it to his disciples. How wonderful is that? It's a future promise. This should all impact our care of creation. It brings God glory because it was made for him. He's deeply invested in the past, present, and future of this earth we live on. It matters because we know he created it for us because he loves us. And it matters because we know that one day this will belong to us. How many of you here rent a house? Quite a few. How many of you used to rent a house? Okay. And I'm guessing the rest of you don't live anywhere. But um, (laughs) um, And uh, so here's the thing. If you bought a house, it's because you didn't like the whole renting thing. Imagine this, right? Imagine those of you who do rent, if your landlord knocked on your door this afternoon and he was in a pretty cheerful mood and he just started by saying, I just love you so much, my faithful tenants. (laughs) Five years from now, I'm going to give you the keys and the deeds to this house as a gift. Wouldn't that be amazing? Unlikely to happen. But God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit gives his people the keys to his creation. And he says, one day, you will have this. It's for you. That's kind of motivating, isn't it? If you rent a house, I I guess you probably don't care too much whether you spill a bit on the floor and, oh, it's created a bit of a stain, but it's not our house. You know, if, if this house is going to be yours, you think, oh, I'm just going to clean that up. You know, that, there's just a little chip out of the paintwork. They might just touch that up. Well, our care for creation is surely implicit in this thing belongs to us one day. 
Now let's talk about the earth as it is right now. The earth's in a lot of trouble. Am I right? We are in a lot of trouble. This wasn't one of my photos. This was just off the internet. Um, so I remember a few years ago, when I was 17, I did a field trip for chemistry. And we, we, we drove up from Brighton, where I lived, all the way up to Teesside. And we visited ICI Wilson, which is one of the major industrial complexes of the UK. And the whole point of the trip was to inspire another generation of young chemists to, to get into heavy industry and production and manufacturing. And they gave us this wonderful tour, and they fed us nice food, and they introduced us to the brightest graduates and managers. Who you know, ICI Wilton was in its heyday. Everything was manufacturing. And they, they say, we are literally manufacturing millions of tons of plastic every year here. And it, and it was a point of great pride and joy. Look at what we're doing. Look at what humans can do. And at the time, I thought, wow, this is amazing. Look at all this steel. It's amazing. All this construction that is possible because of this. 35 years on, it kind of feels it's a different kind of mood. So you think, oh, we didn't really think about the consequences. We were so excited about the innovation, we didn't think of the so what. But do you know, human negative interaction with the planet doesn't just go back 60 or 100 years, although that's particularly been a harmful period of human history. It goes right back to Genesis chapter 3. It goes back to the first humans who sinned against God. Creation didn't sin against God, but human beings did. And when sin entered the world, it had a negative effect on the created order. Creation is spoken of as groaning in Romans 8. Death entered the world. Decay entered the world. The ground we farm is cursed, and therefore Techniques have been done to try and make that easier. Humans have interacted negatively with the created world ever since. Remember uh, t 10 years ago, um, we had a Chinese student in the church here who had come from Beijing. And Julie and I had had a holiday to Beijing many years ago. And, uh, and we, we, we said to this guy, John, we said, would you like to see our photos of Beijing? I'm not quite sure why he would want to see our photos of Beijing, <laughs> considering he was from there. But, but he said, yeah, sure, I'd like to see them. And we showed him a picture of Tiananmen Square with this beautiful blue sky above it. And he, he looked and he said, when was this taken? I said, well, it was about 10, 10 years ago. He says, wow. He says, you don't get blue skies in Beijing anymore. There's just pollution. Thought, wow. In such a short space of time, these things are accelerating. The earth is in trouble. It's groaning. Today, there's a crisis in nature and in climate. Our land, sea, and air are heavily polluted, affecting all creatures. Plastic is spoiling land and sea, threatening life and finding its way into our food chains. Deforestation and industrial farming are spoiling natural habitats. Many species of animals, birds, fish, and insects are in danger or have become lost. Loss of biodiversity, in turn, creates serious knock-on problems on, on each group of animals because we are so dependent on one another in our ecosystems. 
Our climate risks becoming increasingly erratic. Average temperatures have risen by one degree since pre-industrial times, largely due to greenhouse gas emissions, especially carbon dioxide. This is leading to more erratic weather events, heat waves, floods, and droughts. Scientists, people who are much cleverer than me, or probably you, I don't know, don't know who's here, but <laughs> they say once we get to 1.5 degrees increase, that's a tipping point where things become even harder to control. Where are we? Well, we're teetering on the edge of 1.5, likely to pass it in this next couple of years. The greatest contribution to climate change has come from developed industrialized nations. The greatest price is being paid by those countries that have the fewest resources to respond effectively. It's not an encouraging picture. But you know, the point of this message isn't to depress us or even to make us anxious, because I don't think they're the responses that we are meant to have based on what the Bible teaches. Because this earth is lovingly sustained by Jesus, and he has a certain and future hope. For the planet. So let's see what those same verses that talk about the earth groaning speak to us about in terms of future hope. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul is saying, there's something about creation, with or without the human interactions that, that we've talked about, that is being held back deliberately by God and will never come into its full fruition until the fullness of the family of God has been created. But when that happens, there's going to be a liberation of the earth. And just read some of these contrasts. So frustration is what is currently experienced on the planet. That will give birth to liberation. Bondage to decay, which we all have experienced, will give birth to freedom and glory. Groaning and pain will give birth to redemption, setting free. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself, not just wayward human beings. Isn't that encouraging? So read this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, as Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself some things, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What we celebrated today when we took communion together was this. It was God's giant stake in the human condition, not just our humanity, 
being redeemed, but the fact that he will one day reconcile all things to himself. He will put all things right, including a physical creation. In Revelation 21, the one sitting on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. In fact, he could have said, I'm going to make a new thing. He could have said, I'm going to start again. I'm going to take these people that I've redeemed and we're going to go to a different planet. And we're going to just start all over and it's going to be loads of fun. But he says, I'm going to make all things new. It's a recreation of this planet we live on and to make it perfect and better than it ever was. He's already began that process in you and me. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone's in Christ, then the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. It's already started. If you know Jesus, if you're born again, he already has made you new. He started. When I walked in this morning, a couple of people said, hello. Nobody stopped and fell at my feet and said, whoa, look at this exhibit of the new creation. (laughs) Because it's a work in progress. It's hidden. The nature of the kingdom is hidden. But one day is revealed. See, it's a work in progress. What about the earth? Well, God will do it. Just as surely as the new creation has started in you, so God will roll that out to the whole planet. And what will it be like? He'll make all things new. He'll restore the earth to brand new status. Land scarred by industry, drought-ridden land, spoiled places, all flowing once again with the waters of Eden. Isaiah prophesied it. He said, the the desert and the parched land will be glad and the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The future is looking good for planet Earth. God's purpose is clear. He has a past purpose and there's a future hope. But what about the present where we live right now? Because we're in a lot of trouble. How do we respond? Well, there needs to be a global response and then a personal response. And both of those at the same time. If you, I put up the next slide, please, John. Um, sorry, the next one, yeah. So I, I haven't read loads on this subject, but I did read a book by Bill Gates, who I admire for all his remarkable charity work with the Gates Foundation. And he's also a very innovative kind of person who doesn't just say, whoa, doom and gloom, everything must stop. He is somebody who believes in the development of humanity and that humans will keep developing and creating. He says, but these are the areas where we must get to neutral emissions. We must get to net zero from 51 billion, where we currently are. But then he basically just, it's an interesting book if you ever want to read it. It's like five chapters, and he goes through each of these major contributors to industry, to carbon emissions, and he says, Here's some ideas for how we could get to net zero. Here's how we could build stuff and capture the carbon dioxide in the concrete, all those sorts of things. Just fascinating. If you're, if you're interested in me, if you don't just want to eat vegetarian food for the rest of your life, which I'm not keen on myself, then this is a helpful book because you kind of think, oh, yeah, humans, human innovation created these problems, but human innovation can also solve these problems. But we must also trust God. Some of you will be called 
to key areas of science to help develop these things. Some of you will be called to policymaking and lawmaking. Some of you will be called to influencing in other areas. All of these things are vital. And Christians, we must hear whether God is speaking to us about these things for us to be personally involved in a bigger level. But let me just finish off this morning by thinking about a personal response. So it feels like most of us can't do anything about the 70% of emissions that are outside of our control, which are produced by 100 companies in the world. But all of us can do something about something. And uh, Luke, yesterday morning, paid great tribute to my acronyms. Um, so I actually came up with one today. Here it is, love. <laughs> love, a love response. What does it look like for you and I to love and care for the creation that God has blessed us with as a home that one day he will give to us? Here's the first point. Acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. Fix your eyes on God first, not the problem. That avoids idolatry. If the planet becomes our obsession then it also becomes our God. Philippians 4 says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In Romans 1, Paul speaks of humanity and he says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they started worshipping the created things rather than the creator. Christians, we keep our eyes on the creator who can fix the problems. In Joshua's day, the surrounding gods of the Amorites were earth gods, the moon, the sky, the mountain. And Joshua said, choose this day who you're going to serve. If the Lord is God, then follow him. We're invited to worship this Lord through the choices we make in day-to-day life. But, you know, if we regularly spend time with the creator and sustainer of all things, his value set will begin to rub off on us. His care for creation will surely begin to impact us and must impact us. And if he's Lord, the Bible says this, be imitators of God. So therefore, if you're a Christian, you can't help yourself. I'm going to care for creation like Jesus does. Here's the second thing. So we acknowledge him as Lord. Secondly, we acknowledge our responsibility. In Genesis, we're told the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Adam was called to cultivate and to keep, to care and to protect. God could have given Adam just a list of instructions and said, make sure that you weed this bit on a Thursday and make sure you plant this bit on a Friday. Make sure you cover that when the frost comes so it doesn't... God doesn't... He gives him stewardship. It's different, isn't it? That's that's an ownership thing. It's, it's, It's a trust thing. So when it comes to stewarding, I think some of us just fall into the trap, probably me as well, which is this, well, as long as I put my glass into the blue box and my cardboard 
into the green bin, as long as I follow the rules, that's, that's it. Doing a good job, right? I think, well, actually, God wants me to steward. He wants me to evaluate all of my decisions in the light of all of these things. Stewardship is part of discipleship. In the same way as we learn to give, we learn to enjoy community in church, we learn to go to work on time, we learn to do what we've said to people, we must also learn to steward wisely. So therefore, it's probably an area where we're not going to get it right all of the time, but it's an area that we pursue in discipleship. Decision-making is complex. Public transport may be greener, but it may not always be practical. Electric cars may have lower emissions, but are probably unaffordable to many. It's necessary to consider affordability and budgeting as well as impact in this world we live in. Part of stewardship is to perhaps live simpler lives, to avoid consumerism, to make small changes, to reduce, reuse, recycle, repair. Do you know, people my age, just saying this for the people my age, we don't know what Vinted is. That's where you get clothes these days, apparently. And they're, they're, they're used. Pre-loved is the word, isn't it? They're not secondhand, they're pre-loved. And you get stuff cheap, and, and you, you have the joy of thinking, well, nobody had to manufacture this because somebody was about to throw it away. What a great invention. Sometimes people say, well, does it matter? If God's going to make all things new... Does it it matter if I look after the earth and I play my part and steward it wisely? Well, would you say that about your body? One day you're going to get a new body if you're a Christian. You're just going to let it go to rot. You're just going to just put on loads and loads of weight and just kind of be unhealthy and just say it doesn't matter because I'm going to get a new one one day. No, because you don't know how long you're going to need it for. this, This thing's got to keep me going for a few more years yet probably. So I'm going to look after it. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to be kind to it. I'll do the same for the planet that God has given you. Third thing to our response is valuing people and resources. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was asked for clarification, well, who is my neighbor? He basically said, well, it, it might not be somebody you know. Truth is, global Uh, global warming and environmental concerns are probably affecting people across the world that we don't have relationship with. We must be caring and loving and kind. You can value people and resources by buying products you use a lot, like tea and coffee from fair trade suppliers. You can value the resources God has given in many ways. At King's, for very practical reasons. We, we often use, uh, uh, I think, biodegradable cups here because we always love having cups of tea and coffee. That's a bit of a, non, a n- non-negotiable sort of thing here. But here's the truth. If, if you have a reusable cup and you want to bring it on a Sunday morning, you're very welcome to do that. There's no shame if you don't. I, I've bought so many reusable cups in my life and I've lost all of them. <laughs> I think it's done more damage to the environment than... <laughs> than a thousand um, disposable cups. But if that helps, do that. What a wonderful thing that is. 
But of course, you're always very welcome to enjoy hospitality without guilt. Fourthly, extend generosity. Um, 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. Loving our neighbor means loving our world. And sometimes at Kings, we've taken up offerings for, for parts of Kenya where famine has, has wreaked havoc and to give to the church there, to care for those in need. It's a complex world. There's many financial needs and needs for generosity, but perhaps this is one of them that we should consider more. And let's also extend generosity in this vital area because we're all making our complex choices in these areas. Let's be mindful that part of our generosity is to understand all of our lives are complex in different ways. And so we're always making slightly different choices to one another. Our unity isn't found in our consumer choices or our recycling habits. It's found in Jesus who saved wretches like us. So just as we close... Let me just, uh, let's just think about how, how we respond. For some people, I've got some rhymes for you. Some people, they feel bad. They don't like talking about this stuff or engaging with this stuff because they just feel guilty or anxious. For others, they feel sad. They feel sorrowful when they contemplate this world we live in and some of the destructive habits that humans have adopted, they feel genuine sorrow and grief. For others, they can feel a bit cynical. They say, well, it's a fad. I've got to say, this fad's been going on a while now <laughs> because the science seems to back it up more and more in terms of this seems to be a real issue that we must engage with. For other people, they get really mad get really angry about the whole thing. Angry that nothing is happening and not fast enough and that nobody seems to care enough. It's likely that you and I will feel a mixture of some or all of those emotions at some point. But I want to leave one emotion with you, which may seem a little bit peculiar, and it's this one, glad. Glad. One day... According to Revelation 11.18, God will judge those who destroy the earth. Just as he will judge every sin of every human being, we'll all stand before him and we'll give an account of our lives. It will be a sobering day. All of my stewardship choices under scrutiny. All of my recycling record reviewed. But there'll be something rather hopeful and wonderful about that moment. Have you heard of carbon offsetting? It's basically when you buy something and they give you the opportunity to pay a little bit more money and they say, if you do that, we'll plant a tree. So it will be a neutral thing on the environment that the emissions won't have the same effect because we'll have planted a tree. And you pay a bit and you feel, ah, that's better. I feel my, my guilt is assuaged. Well, on that day of judgment, when we become aware of the mountain of sins that we have accumulated in our lives, 
If you've put your trust in Jesus, you'll feel a hand on your shoulder. And he'll say, Dan, I've offset all of it. All of it. All of your sin. All of your failure. All of your bad choices. All of your bad stewardship. Dealt with. He said, that's why I died on the cross. So that your poor decision making, that your sinfulness could be dealt with. And he'll say, welcome into my new creation. One day, the world as we know it will be gone. And we will have a new home. One day, these bodies will be old and buried. But he will make our bodies new. There's three things that you and I will get to enjoy. One is this, new bodies, not frail, falling apart bodies, not diseased bodies, but brand new. We'll live on a new earth, perfect, beautiful, enjoyable, unspoiled. And we will sing a new song. According to Revelation 14, it says, Only the redeemed of the Lord know the words of the song. Isn't that amazing? There's a song that nobody will ever know the words of except you and me if you believe in Jesus. And we will sing it, the new song on a new earth in new bodies. And what a wonderful day that will be. Let me ask you today, do you want to join the song? Do you want to stand on that day? Do you want to have a new body? Do you want to live on a new earth? And do you want to sing the song? You can today if you ask Jesus into your life and make him your Lord. Let him to direct every area of your life. Let's stand together and let's pray. Hallelujah. Lord, we do just want to thank you so much for your beautiful, wonderful provision for us. Thank you that you care for us so much. Lord, thank you for all the goodness you've poured into our lives. Lord, please forgive us where we're not mindful. Forgive us where we forget. Forgive us where we don't attribute you as the creator and sustainer of all things. Lord, please forgive us where we don't care for creation as much as you do. Forgive us, Lord, where the choices we have made have brought harm to this earth and to other people. Lord, please help us to make good choices. Help us to be a blessing. Help us to live lives that are a blessing to others, but live free of the guilt and anxiety that so many feel. Lord, we do pray, Lord, that even as we are thankful for the hope of you making all things new, I pray, Lord, that you would give us a voice to many who feel so anxious, many who wonder what will become of these things. We say, Lord, would you give us opportunity to share the hope we have? In Jesus' name, amen.